Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Recording. Okay, this is... Let's try this again. <laughs> this is, um... Um, Sunday morning. This is the 8th of October, Robert. And the last week on Genesis. Yay. Okay. So we're talking about Benjamin, and he's described here as a, a very avaricious, predatory nature, um, big-time warriors, and um, and we just talked about he's he's small. Even um, when he when Benjamin gets their piece of land, it's very tiny, and it's just to the in the northeast of. Um, Judah just sits right on top of the northeast corner of Judah and eventually Judah actually takes in Benjamin because Jerusalem is in Benjamin to begin with and um, so when Saul is made king you know he's a Benjaminite but when David follows him David wraps Benjamin up in Israel I mean in Judah and then, of course, David unites north and south. So for a little while, between David and Solomon, Israel is just one united nation. At the end of Solomon's reign, they divide again. But um, Benjamin never really separates out after that because Jerusalem then becomes a prominent part of Judah and still is even today. If you're looking for the area where Jerusalem is, they say Judea. And... Um, Esther and Mordecai were also Benjaminites, which is just kind of an interesting combination. Mordecai was a fighter, too. Um, and Esther was a pretty gutsy lady. So, um, and they did take care of their enemies, each in their own way. Paul got them saved, and Saul took them out, and Mordecai and Esther used their wits to take care of all their enemies and, and uh, protect themselves. But um, Benjamin also was beloved of God. So the picture there that God would carry Joseph, I mean Benjamin, between his shoulders is a picture of like a young boy riding on his dad's shoulders. You know, with his legs around his lap. God would carry Benjamin, you know, between his shoulders like a dad would carry his son. And... Um, so you get that picture of Benjamin sort of riding on the shoulders of Judah and eventually just becoming a part of Judah. But God has always taken care of Benjamin. And um, there it is with Jerusalem and Bethlehem. Um, even today, thousands of years later, they're still intact. They're still whole. Every other area of Israel, you know, changes and the town names are the same and all, but the capital there, Jerusalem and Bethlehem, have always remained intact. You know, they always were, from the first king on. And um, so it was just, um, when his dad was speaking over him, he was just saying, you're a forceful fighter. You're going to be forceful. You'll take your prey. And they were. He was never, Benjamin was never um, a people who were defeated by their enemies. You never read that. And anytime you see anybody coming out of Benjamin, you know, they're usually very rapacious. We, we just said that. But um, for different purposes. Um, so now we're at the end of the blessings for all of his kids. Benjamin was last, but certainly not least in... in uh, Jacob's heart. So Jacob has, <clears throat> I mean, you know, you look at him and you say, well, they're blessings, but actually not so much blessing as it was just prophesying. And um, so now Jacob is finished 
Jacob is ready to go home. And um, I love this picture because I think this is exactly what Psalm 91 says. I will satisfy you with a long life and show you my salvation. Even in old age, you'll be vital. This is Psalm 103. Full of sap and bringing forth much fruit in the garden of God. Um, we're so used to thinking you have to just die of something. You have to be sick. You have to suffer. You have to whatever to die. And it's become, um, it's just become the way we think. But Jacob wasn't sick. He was just old. And when he was satisfied with a long life, he spoke over his kids. And then look at how he went home. Um, look at verse 28 in Genesis. these are the twelve tribes of Israel and this is it that their father spoke unto them and blessed them everyone according to his blessing he blessed them and he charged them and he said to them I am to be gathered to my people bury me with my fathers in the cave that's in the field of Ephron the Hittite in the cave that is in the field of Machpelah which is before Mamre in the land of Canaan which Abraham bought with the field of Ephron the Hittite <clears throat> for a possession of a burying place. There they buried Abraham and Sarah his wife. There they buried Isaac and Rebekah his wife. And there I buried Leah. Interesting. Yeah. Rachel is not buried there. She's buried in Bethlehem. And was that because of logistics? Well, I'm not really sure and nobody else is. Historically, nobody really knows. They think maybe um, that Leah had died before Rachel and so Isaac saw to it that she was buried in Machpelah and then Isaac died and Jacob buried Rachel you know um, near Bethlehem but Rachel is not with the family which I find to be really interesting when well, he says and there I buried Leah yeah. so it's almost like Jacob did, was involved in that yeah and, but why uh, Rachel's not there I don't know um, she was buried in Bethlehem. Yeah, near Bethlehem, yeah. The purchase of the field and of the cave that is therein was from the children of Heth. And here it is, this is a picture of it. When Jacob had made an end of commanding his sons, he gathered his feet into his bed and yielded up the ghost and gathered unto his people. Just went home, you know. Um, gathered unto his people is interesting because... And the Jewish people were split um, about life after death. But Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, all three believed in life after death. That they would be gathered to their people. Um, and you have to look at it like this. There are two lives. He's saying, I'm going to be, my spirit man is going to be gathered to my people. I'm going to be with my people. But take my bones and bury them at Machpelah. He split that right down the middle. He didn't say it all together. He, he gave two different directives. First, I'm going to be gathered to my people. But you take my bones and bury them in Machpelah. So he made a, a split, a differentiation between the two. But Jesus confirmed that gathering of the spirits of men after physical death. Some of the Jews, um, the Sadducees had a hard time with life after death. They didn't buy into it as easy as the Pharisees did in Jesus' day. So Jesus had to make a point to them about it. And um, so look at John 8. We'll go to John 8 and then Hebrews 11. This actually almost got him stoned to death. John chapter 8. Talking about life after death, this is it. Now, the Pharisees here um, are talking about... <coughs> the Pharisees and the Sadducees are talking about... Uh, talking to Jesus because Jesus says you know if you've seen my father you've seen me um, and um, 
if God was your father, you'd love me, you'd know me because I came from God. So they're getting really up because they're saying, no, your father's the devil. Remember how they're saying that? So Jesus says, um, start with verse 42. We'll just read the whole thing here. Jesus said, if God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God. Neither came I of myself, but he sent me. So why do you not understand my speech? Even because you can't hear my word. You are of your father the devil. And the loss of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning. And abode not in the truth. Because there's no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks of his own. For he is a liar and the father of it. And because I tell you the truth, you believe me not. Which of you convinces me of sin? And if I say the truth, why do you not believe me? He that is of God hears God's words. You therefore hear them not, because you are not of God. So now they're talking about fathers. Okay. Then answered the Jews and said to him, Say we not well that you are a Samaritan and have a devil? And Jesus answered, I have not a devil, but I honor my father, and you do dishonor him. I seek not my own glory. There's one that seeks and judges. Verily I say to you, if a man keeps my saying, he will never see death. Okay. Now he set him off. Then said the Jews to him, Now we know that you have a devil. Abraham's dead. And the prophets, and you say, if a man keep my sayings, he will never taste of death? Are you greater than our father Abraham, which is dead? And the prophets are dead, who makest you yourself? Okay? So, they're saying they're dead. So, you're saying we're never going to die? Come on. Even Abraham is dead. He does not exist. But Jesus says, no, no I beg to differ with you. Jesus said, if I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It's my Father that honors me, of whom you say that he is your God. Yet you have not known him, but I know him. And if I should say I know him not, I would be a liar like you. But I know him, and I keep his sayings. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. In other words, Abraham rejoiced when I was born. He saw it, and he was glad I was born in the earth. And the Jews said to him, You're not 50 years old, and you've seen Abraham? And Jesus answered them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Before Abraham was, I am. So, oh yeah. So Abraham is still alive, just not with a body. And um, he was with Jesus when Jesus was born. You know, he saw Jesus born and he rejoiced in it. Because Jesus is, I am. Meaning, there is life on the other side. Abraham's not dead. The prophets are not dead. They all saw it and rejoiced. And um, as soon as he said, I am, uh, they picked up rocks to stone him. Because that's what, that's God. And that's the way God introduced himself to Moses, of course, in the burning bush. Whom, whom shall I say sent me? Tell them I am sent me. Mm -hmm. So this is Jesus' confirmation that there is life. <clears throat> life after death. In Hebrews, <clears throat> go to Hebrews 11. The Jewish people are the ones, not all the Jewish people, but, you know, a lot of sects of the Jewish people did not believe in life after death. They just figured when you're dead, you're dead. Okay? And so, um, for the writer of Hebrews, even for Jesus, to give them a revelation that people were still alive on the other side, that was tremendous for a lot of them. And really, the, the, the first five books of the God never really addressed that. No, he didn't. He doesn't address that. Mm -mm. Yes. So this is a huge revelation for them. You know, um, Jacob had no trouble saying, I'm going to be with my family now. You know, and he just pulled himself, pulled his feet up and went home. 
you know. And um, I love that picture. And um, so start in Hebrews 11, 39, and then we'll just read right in to uh, Hebrews chapter 12. So Sandy, I just got, had this picture. So if we hear that on your final deathbed, yeah. her legs went straight. There you go. <laughs> That's it. That's the way I'm planning on it. Oh, I can see it now. That's it. I'm thinking, gee whiz, I'm not going to have to. I'm not taking the tough road. I'm just going when I'm ready. <laughs> Hallelujah. I think we just need a new paradigm there. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. And I just soon do it like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you know? Okay, 39. Of course, it could very well be that we're all going to just get zapped out of here anyway. I, me too. I said, I, it could just happen. I'm going, come Lord Jesus, whatever. Just come on. It'll be way more fun up there than here. <laughs> okay, verse 39. <clears throat> and these all talk about all the people that have gone before us starting with Adam and going right through the whole history of the Old Testament these all having obtained a good report through faith received not the promise God having provided some better thing for us that they without us should not be made perfect therefore <clears throat> seeing we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us and let us run with patience the race that's set before us. So now it's speaking about all the people who have gone before. So the writer of Hebrew then says, well, if they've all gone before, therefore, because we are pressed in and compassed about by so great a cloud of witnesses, that means all the people in Hebrews 11, <coughs> All the faithful we know in Christ, everybody that has died across time that was faithful to the living God are witnesses of what we do. And they're not a million miles away from us. This is the thing that's so amazing. They are transposed on us. The kingdom of God is superimposed on us. So they encompass us about. They are wrapped around us in the spirit realm, watching us as we run our race. People that have passed on are not that far away from us. It's not like they're sitting on a cloud a billion miles away. They are literally superimposed on us in another kingdom, in the spirit realm. So the author here says, seeing then that we are compassed about, and there's that picture of being pressed in around by that great cloud of witnesses, then we need to run our race. The picture there is of um, like a stadium. And all the people are sitting up in the stands are the ones that have gone before us, okay? But they are very much interested in, active and alive in the spirit realm, watching what we do. The picture is they're cheering for us. They're actively engaged in seeing what we do. And um, so the writer says, so lay aside every weight. The picture of that is, you know, like if you're mourning somebody's lost, lay aside your grief, lay aside your worries, lay aside your anxieties. Put all that off like you would take off your heavy sweatsuit before you run a race. Lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily besets us. Don't let your feet, that word beset means entangles. So if you're going to run your race, don't let sin entangle your feet. Keep your eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. He's the coach. So you keep your eyes on the coach and you run your race. But if you've ever competed in anything or performed anywhere, you know the people that are there are close to you. <clears throat> and you know they're there. You can't touch them. You can't hug them. You can't even hear their voice separated from anybody else's voice. But you know they're there, right? And you just run your race, you know, play your piano recital. Whatever you're doing, you do that knowing that they're watching. They're cheering for you. They're actively involved and engaged in what you're doing. So when you think about people that have gone before us, Jesus was saying, oh my gosh, Abraham saw my birth and he was thrilled. So it's like, 
you know, Abraham was in the spirit realm, but he watched that birth and was thrilled. Jesus can't touch Abraham, can't hug Abraham, can't talk to Abraham, but he knows Abraham is a part of that cloud of witnesses pressed in around him, watching and cheering and actively interested in what's happening here. So it's a little different picture even for us Christians. Um, you know, when you think about where people we love are, where they are, they're not far away. They're just, they're superimposed. They're in a different realm. We can't get to them exactly. But, but they're active. They know what we're doing. They're watching us like, like people in a stand cheering us on, which should give you, you know, a, a reason to get up every day. Throw aside the weight that so easily besets you. I, I was sharing this with Dusty not too long ago and telling him, you know, people are up there cheering for you, Dust. You know, you just have to believe that and then go on with it. That's a, that's a great know? analogy. Mm -hmm. I'm watching a comedy, Last Man Standing, and the daughter, they, they really wanted their parents there. One, it was a play, and one, it was a soccer game. Right. And, and those parents weren't doing a thing to help them, <laughs> but they were helping them. Yeah. Their, their presence. Mm-hmm. And the spiritual presence. That's it. Yeah. They're, you know, they, they're not without knowledge of what we're doing, where we are, and what's going on. They're very much involved with us. <laughs> yeah! Well, I know. Sometimes you wish maybe not. Yeah. Exactly right. I'm thinking that about my grandmas. <laughs> they were so proper and so squared away. and I don't know. I know they're praying still. <laughs> they never stopped. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So anyway, but it's a, it's a, please, please be patient with people. Yes. So anyway, you, it's a different way of looking even for us. Um, this was a very unique, and in, in Hebrews, this, this picture was very unique, especially for Jewish people who, number one, didn't really have a concept of heaven and hell. You know, afterlife, some believed in an afterlife. But they didn't, you know, they didn't have those concepts. Like Jesus really introduced that that idea of Gehenna, you know, of hell and the fires, because the Valley of Henna was where, um, well, it was a garbage dump now, but in Jerusalem it was constantly on fire. But before that, it was the valley where the Israelites would set their children on fire, burn them up to Molech, you know. So it was the fires of Gehenna. You know, so was Hades was hell mentioned in the Old Testament? Surely. Not that I know of. In that, in that. Yeah, yeah. This so is no wonder. I mean, yeah. Jesus, that was, that was yeah revolting. Yes, yeah. So you know, it, it people that believed in life after still didn't have that concept that that we have. You know, and Jesus began to talk about it about judgment at that point when he was saying, you know, there are people that are going to be cast out where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth, where there's pain, where there's fire. And and um, and he talked about Gehenna, you know, the garbage dump right outside of Jerusalem. And But it used to be the valley where they set their children on fire, burned their children up on altars to Gehenna. So hellfires came from those images, you know. And... Um, Abraham's bosom um, <coughs> was a concept that they <coughs> some would have understood but not heaven and hell like you and I have that concept now <coughs> but um, yeah so when now when you think about that all the people that we we think we've lost they're not really they're just they're pressed in around us close watching us do what we do. And like Jacob, you know. their bones are in their Right. Mm -hmm. And at the rapture, right. that'll be raised first, right? But yes. the spiritual They're already there. Yes. That's it. The only thing we're missing right now is, you know, is our our new bodies. Everything else, we, it, you know, once you're born again, everything's there. <clears throat> but we still have the promise of a new body. And we need this body right now so we can interact here. We, we have work to do here, so we have to have this body. Um, 
So God's got it. He knows what he's doing there. So anyway, yeah. So um, now let's see where we are. Okay. So Jacob um, is saying, I'm going to be gathered to my family. He's going up to hang out or going out there to hang out with Abraham and Isaac and Leah and Rachel. And he understood that. But he said, I want my bones buried in Montpelah, you know, with everybody else. And he did split that up. Um, drew up his feet, and he went home. Um, they're saying the calendar dating here is so rough. Joseph would have been about in his late 50s, mid to late 50s, when his dad dies, okay? And, um, because Jacob, um, lived 17 years in, um, Egypt after, um, uh, after Joseph was raised up to second in command. Joseph was 30 when he was promoted. Then there were seven years when he stored all the grain away, so that would have made him 37. Then you have two years when the, the famine was bad and finally Jacob, you know, ends up coming down there. So that would have been nine years more. So that would have made him 39 when Jacob finally comes to um, Egypt. And then you add 17 years to that. Somebody do the math. Is that 56? So that would have made him about 56, 57 years old when his dad died. And Jacob still has, I mean, and Joseph still has another 50 plus years to live. But um, this would have been um, 2,000 years almost before Jesus was born. This would have happened. So there are 2,000 years of history in front of everybody. And so now we have this sweet picture of Joseph. And I find this so interesting. Joseph is the one that reacts. Joseph is the one that takes care of his dad. You never hear from these brothers until after their dad's buried at Montpelier. And what you hear from them then makes you just want to smack them down. Absolutely smack them down. But just, let's just read this sweet story because that's exactly what it is. Um, chapter 50, verse 1. Joseph fell on his father's face and wept upon him and kissed him. And Joseph commanded his servants, the physicians, to embalm his father. And the physicians embalmed Israel. Well, it's a 300-mile trip back to Montpelier. Embalming was necessary, okay? It was necessary. It would have been a rough trip back without it. And 40 days were fulfilled for him. So, for so are fulfilled the days of those which are embalmed. And the Egyptians mourn for him three score and ten days. So this is what happened there. <clears throat> it takes 40 days to embalm a body. So there's the 40 days of embalming that takes place. And then on top of that, Egypt mourned 30 more days. So there were 70 days of mourning altogether for... Um, for Jacob in Israel. I mean, in Egypt. Yeah. <clears throat> okay, verse 4. And when the days of his mourning were passed, Joseph spoke to the house of Pharaoh, saying, If I have found grace in your eyes, speak, I pray you, in the ears of Pharaoh, saying, My father made me swear, saying, Lo, I die in my grave, which I have digged for me in the land of Canaan. There shall you bury me. Now, therefore, let me go up, and I pray you, bury my father, and I will come again. Okay. Joseph, took second in command, you think, why, why wouldn't he just go talk to Pharaoh? Because he's like a father to Pharaoh. Why wouldn't he just go and ask for permission to do that? Instead, he sends messengers from the house of Pharaoh to ask Pharaoh's permission. The custom is, and, and this was what the tradition was, if you were in mourning, you could not be in the presence of Pharaoh. And Joseph was in mourning robes. So he could not be in the presence of Pharaoh. So he had to send the messenger. I go, no, that makes perfect sense. You know. 
so um, because he was wearing the robes of a mourner, he could not be in the presence of Pharaoh. But Pharaoh gives him permission. Look at verse 6. And Pharaoh said, Go up and bury your father according as he made you swear. And Joseph went up to bury his father, and with him went all the servants of Pharaoh, the elders of his house, and all the elders of the land of Egypt, and all the house of Joseph and his brothers and his father's house, only their little ones and their flocks and their herds they left in the land of Goshen. And there went up with him both chariots and horsemen, and it was a very great company. Can you imagine in, in uh, Canaan I mean, what this must have looked like? Because here comes the second in command from Egypt with a, an embalmed body and a gorgeous casket. And you know he has with him his own personal guards. He has his own personal servants. <coughs> probably <coughs> more than likely a military escort. Plus all of his house, all of the people that work for him, and then all of Jacob's kids, except for the little bitty ones, everybody making this 300-mile procession in the Canaan. And it, it blew the people away. Um, the Canaanites called it, this is the morning of Egypt. The word they used was Abel Misraim. Abel means to mourn or a mourning place. And Misraim was the name for Israel. You know, Misraim was the son of Ham that went down into that area and then from Misraim came Egypt. That was his nation, Misraim. So it was Abel Misraim. And the people there were just touched with the great love and compassion that Jacob's family had for him. And um, at least Joseph and his family was mourning. I I still don't know about those sons, you know, and where they are. In, well, you'll see in a minute. They were in the procession, right? Yes, they came. Everybody but the little children. They all stayed back. <coughs> Verse 10. And they came to the threshing floor of Atad, which is beyond Jordan. And there they mourned with a great and very sore lamentation. And he made a mourning for his father seven days. Joseph. And when the inhabitants of the land of the Canaanites saw the mourning in the floor of Atad, they said, This is grievous mourning to the Egyptians. Therefore the name of it was called Abel Misraim, which is beyond the Jordan. And his sons did unto him according as he commanded. For his sons carried him into the land of Canaan and buried him in the cave in the field of Machpelah, which Abraham bought with the field for a possession of a burying place of Ephron the Hittite before Mamre. And Joseph returned unto Egypt, he and his brothers, and all that went up with him to bury his father, after he had buried his father. Okay, so it was a really touching funeral all the way around. Months of mourning, and um, <clears throat> a tender burial right there at Mount Palah, right where his bones were supposed to be with Abraham and Isaac. And um, then they return home. Now, I want to stop there for a minute. And I want to go to Proverbs. Go to Proverbs 23. <clears throat> Come on here. <clears throat> Proverbs 23. <clears throat> um, verse 6 and 7. So many years, you know, I read through Proverbs and I just read over this one. But more and more and more, on a psychological level, I am seeing this play out everywhere. And um, it's so pronounced here that um, I just think it's kind of appropriate for us to talk about this. Um, start with verse 6. Eat not the bread of him that has an evil eye. Um, that means that it's the mind's eye. How, how a person sees things with their mind's eye. 
It's not having an eye, a physical eye that's evil, you know. But rather it's your mind's eye. When your mind's eye sees only evil or thinks only evil, okay. Neither desire his dainty meats. For, and this is why, as he thinks in his heart, so is he. So what that means is this. Like if somebody is always afraid people are gossiping about them and worried about what somebody says, it's because they're a gossip. If somebody is always afraid they're going to be cheated or robbed, it's because they're a cheater and a robber. <clears throat> if somebody's afraid they're hated for their opinions, it's because they hate. Okay? It whatever it's called transference if you're looking for a psychological term it's called transference so now you know you you see this struggle that goes between the between um, conservatives and um, between the conservatives and the liberals in this country the liberals are constantly screaming hatred 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 they hate us everybody hates us Everybody's full of hate. Conservatives don't think that way. So we don't get it. We don't understand what they're saying. But literally it's a transfer of their own feelings onto our giving their feelings and motives to our actions and 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 opinions. Intolerance is another Yeah. That's right. Right. That's exactly right. Right. And it's because they think that way in their heart. If they didn't have that own feeling in their heart, it would never dawn on them. People scream racism, racism, racism. Why is that? Because it's in their heart and in their mind, as they think in their own heart. Um, it is in their own mind's eye. That's all they see. You know. And therefore, um, the transference takes place. They transfer their emotions and their understandings and their thoughts onto somebody else's actions as if it was their motives. They attach their feelings and understandings to someone else's actions. And it is. The psychological term for that is transference. I think Paul would love to do a Oh, I think it would be fascinating to do a special on that. But that's exactly what it is. It's in, and psychologically, it's called transference. And um, a lot of, I mean, you know, it happens to you every now and then. You do something or say something and somebody takes offense. You go, what did I do? What did I say? You never thought about it, but they did because it's in their heart in the first place. Okay? Um, people that have a chip on their shoulder find offense in everything you do or say. Not that you're trying to be offensive, but it's because the offense is in their own heart. You know, not, not in your heart, it's in theirs. You know, you're not, it's not in your heart to be offensive. It's in their heart to be offended. So as a man thinks in his own heart, in his own understanding, you know, that's how he is. Okay? And this so translates right here. Think about Joseph's brothers. <coughs> they, um, they were resentful of Joseph from the beginning. They hated that little squirt of a little brother. They abused him. They sold him into slavery. Would have been perfectly happy if he died. You know, most of them wanted to just kill him on the spot anyway. So if he died, hey, they were perfectly happy with that. No one ever told Jacob what happened. Nobody ever gave that away. But they were murderers. They took revenge. They were people who thought of revenge. Look at Shechem. They absolutely destroyed Shechem. They were selfish. They were everything evil in their hearts. They were that kind of kids. All of them. Joseph, on the other hand, had already forgiven his brothers, had brought the whole family in, put them in Goshen, put his hand of protection over them, prospered them, blessed them for 17 years. That's how long it's been. The minute daddy's dead, look at what happens. Go to, back to Genesis. The minute daddy is dead, mm -hmm. look at verse um, 15. 
When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, Joseph will peradventure hate us and will certainly requite us all the evil which we did to him. Do you think for a minute that had crossed Joseph's mind? No. It wasn't in his mind, in his heart, anywhere. He had already forgiven long ago. He had already loved on those brothers. He had already taken care of their families and blessed them. But look what was still in their hearts. As a man thinks in his own heart. So they said, oh my gosh, now that dad's dead, he's going to hate us and he's going to want to get even with us. Who had hated and gotten even with people? His brothers. That was exactly where they lived their whole lives. Hatred and getting even. So this is what they did. They, they sent up a trial balloon here. Because they were cowards. And, and they'd always been cowards. Okay? They'd always been cowards. And they sent a lie to Joseph. Oh, they lied through their teeth. But they sent this message to Joseph. They sent a message to Joseph saying, Your father did command before he died, saying, So shall you say to Joseph, Forgive, I pray you now, the trespass of your brothers for their sin. For they did unto you evil. And now we pray you, forgive the trespasses of the servants of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. He cried when the messengers came with that message. So... How do we know that what they said was a lie? That Jacob never told them, tell your brother Joseph not to get angry with you once I'm dead and get even for all the evil you did to him. Okay? This is how we know that was a lie. Number one, Jacob never spoke about what happened to Joseph. His most grievous heartache in life, okay, in terms of blame on anyone. So that in itself signifies that he never knew. Joseph never told him what his brothers did to him. And these cowardly brothers certainly never admitted to Jacob what they had done to Joseph all those years ago. All the heartache, 30 years of heartache. You know, well, um, sorry, 13 years of heartache that Jacob had without Joseph. Or actually, no, it was more like 20 years that he was without his son. Second of all, <coughs> he never in all his swearing, Jacob, with Joseph and his two sons, asked that Joseph forgive his brothers or swear to forgive them. There was a whole chapter of a conversation between Joseph and Ephraim and Manasseh. And in that, Jacob never said to Joseph, forgive your brothers for treating you bad. He had every opportunity to say it, but he never said it to Joseph. So why would he say it to his brothers and not to Joseph? Then on his deathbed, he had called out every single son for the sins that they had committed against him. Reuben and his concubines, Simeon and Levi against Shechem. But never in calling out those sons did he ever mention what they did to Joseph. Which is another sign because on your deathbed you say everything. And it was another sign that Jacob had no idea what those boys had done to Joseph. And lastly, Joseph never spoke of it to Jacob. There's no place in Scripture where Joseph ever told Jacob what his brothers had done. It wasn't there. So with all of that, the oddest thing in the world would have been for Jacob to tell his brothers to tell Joseph to forgive them. I mean, that, would, that just didn't fit anything. So it's just a big fat lie. And Joseph knew that. Joseph knew his dad never had any idea. And yet here these brothers, cowardly like they were, sending that message to Joseph, thinking that Joseph was the kind of a man that would now take revenge and hurt them and destroy them. So no kidding, I'd be crying too if I was Joseph. <coughs> but Joseph still the picture of Jesus. Still that picture of compassion. Even as ugly as those brothers were, he wept and he forgave them. So after they floated the trial balloon and the messengers came back and said, Joseph is crying. You know, he, he's wept. The brothers now go and crawl at his feet. Um, which I think, now that's appropriate. I like that. 
Look at verse 18. And his brothers also went and fell down before his face, and they said, Behold, we are your servants. And Joseph said to them, Fear not, for am I in the place of God? In other words, have I judged you? No, I have not judged you. But as for you, you thought evil against me. But God meant it for good, to bring to pass, as it is this day, to save much people alive. Now therefore fear not, I will nourish you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. There's Jesus. Forgive them for they know not what they do. And Joseph dwelt in Egypt, he and his father's house. And Joseph lived a hundred and ten years. <clears throat> and Joseph saw Ephraim's children of the third generation. The children also of Machir, the son of Manasseh, were brought upon Joseph's knee. And Joseph said to his brethren, I die, and God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land. Here is a prophecy that's a confirmation of what God told Abraham almost right at the very beginning of Abraham's journey. We're going to go look at that in a minute. But Joseph confirms it. Joseph says, um, God will visit you and bring you out of this land into the land which he swore to Abraham and Isaac and to Jacob. And Joseph took an oath of the children of Israel saying, God will surely visit you and you will carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died being 110 years old and they embalmed him and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. Now he remained in Egypt another 250 years with the children of Israel. In the burial. There. In the burial there. And then when the children of Israel left Egypt, they took his bones with them. And um, When they we'll, left with Moses, they took Joseph's bones. Yeah. Yeah. They took Joseph's bones. We'll read about it in a minute. But go back to Abraham's. <clears throat> because, I mean, we're talking hundred years in the hundreds of years in the future. Um, go to um, um, Genesis 15. Hundreds of years in the future, Joseph is looking in the future and he says, God will visit you and bring you out of Egypt. Not that you'll just pack up and move away, but God will visit you and bring you out. Literally, carry you, lift you up, move you out of the way. Um, as if God physically does something for them. Um, <clears throat> look at at verse 13. This is after Abraham has split the animals down the back and God passes through the river of blood. God speaks prophecy over Abraham. Abram. Verse 13. And he said unto Abram, Know of a surety that your seed will be a stranger in a land that is not theirs, and shall serve them, and they shall afflict them four hundred years. And also that nation whom they shall serve I will judge. And afterwards shall they come out with great substance. And you will go to your fathers in peace. And you will be married, buried in a good old age. But in the fourth generation. This is the fourth generation of Israelites that are in Egypt. They shall come hither again. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. Um. So he speaks then, he says, your, your descendants are going to go into a strange land. Egypt is where they end up. But he said, no, of a surety, I will get them out of there. You know, they'll be afflicted, but they'll be there over 400 years. But I promise you, I will get them out and bring them into this land that I promise you. And at the end of Joseph's life, he says, I'm telling you of a surety, God will visit you. God will surely visit you. And bring you out of this land into the land which he swore to Abraham. I wonder if he had heard those stories from Jacob when he was a little boy. And remembered them. And I'm sure God had confirmed them to him. But Joseph dies. Now go to Joshua 24. It's really interesting here to me about where Joseph is buried. Your thought would be that he would be buried at Machpelah, wouldn't it? Mm -hmm. Not so. Joshua 24, look at verse 32. 
the bones of Joseph, which the children of Israel brought up out of Egypt, they buried in Shechem. That's the that's the Hittite land that was bought from by Jacob. You know where Shechem and his father were killed. Hamar were killed. Mm. Joseph is buried in Shechem. Why in Shechem? Because Manasseh, um, Manasseh has land that encompasses Shechem on the west side of the Jordan, and then it extends over into the east side of Jordan. So he's buried literally in the land of Manasseh. But he's married in Shechem, buried in Shechem. And a parcel of ground, which Jacob bought of the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem, for a hundred pieces of silver. And it became the inheritance of the children of Joseph, Manasseh and Ephraim. So, um, Joseph was not buried in Machpelah, which really surprised me. But nope, he was buried, and so were all twelve, all eleven of his brothers. They were all buried then in Shechem. They were not buried in Machpelah. Isn't that amazing? It is, and I wonder if that piece of land that Jacob had bought... That was when Jacob probably first got there. Yep. And he had a small amount, and then they yep. did all the murder. Right. Yeah. Yep. He had bought land there because it was beautiful. And he was so out of the will of God because God had told him to go back to Bethel. And he stopped at Shechem because the land was beautiful. Bought land from the uh, uh, Hittites and, you know, just destroyed himself there. Dinah got raped, and then the murders took place. So, yeah, well, guys, guess what? The end of Genesis. Uh, yeah. No. This is exhausting. It is exhausting. I'm going, Jen, that's our family line. <clears throat> There's not any family reunion any of us have had that can top what we just went through that's for a year. Right. Oh, my gosh. Totally. Total dysfunction. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.